You're listening to Cortez Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. The opinions expressed in the article that follows belong to the people saying them and are not necessarily shared by the Cortez Radio Society, its board, staff, volunteers, or membership. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, and this morning two guests from the Friends of Cortez Island are going to tell us about the island's species at risk. Helen Hall has been the Society's Executive Director for close to five years. What is it about uh, nature that drives you? I think I've just, it's inherent in me. Ever since I was a child I was fascinated by nature and I wanted to be a zoologist from the age of about seven. And that just then, when I into, I realised I wanted to do ecology and conservation. So yeah, I've been working in con- the conservation field um, for over 30 years now. Autumn Barrett Morgan started as a summer student. Well, last summer, um, the summer conservation position opened up through Friends of Cortez. And I saw that position and I was just very thrilled. I went to school for ecosystem management. So once I saw that this position was available on the island that I live on and love, I just hopped right in and it just felt like it was meant to be. And then I've been working with Helen ever since, really, after the the funding finished after two months. I just just fell in love with the the organization and what we're doing. So I've been staying on as the conservation assistant, volunteer work right now, but it's really good work and I've been doing a lot of research on the species at risk here and helping in the lake monitoring and the marine stewardship and on and on. And I've been working with Helen, Helen Hall, the executive director of Friends of Cortez, and I've just learned so much from her. She's just been an amazing mentor of mine and really honored and grateful to be a part of her team. So tell me about Cortez Island's species at risk. Cortez is a pretty amazing place for species at risk and I think you know we're really fortunate to have so many amazing species here and I think a lot of that's to do with the fact um, Cortez hasn't been quite as developed as other islands and we still have large intact areas of forest on the island and a really good marine ecosystem around the island too. Are you saying that some of these species have disappeared from other areas? Yeah, um, definitely because of habitat loss. You know, they really are under threat. We have the northern gossip on the island, which is a species that um, conservationists are very concerned about. And we, we know they're here, and we know they've disappeared from other parts of the province. So we're still trying to find out a lot of information about these species, which is why we're running our Species at Risk program to try and find out more about them and what their status is here and understand how that fits into the bigger picture. So any records that we get from Cortez, we send down to the Conservation Data Centre in Victoria so they can include us when they try and assess the status of different species. So it's great that we're doing this on Cortez. Mm-hmm. What's a species of risk? A species at risk is a species that is of conservation concern. And there's two levels for species at risk. You have um, federally listed species at risk and provincially listed species at risk. So that um, reflects on whether they are of concern uh, nationally or provincially. On Cortez, we actually have a total of 35 species at risk, both either federally or provincially listed. 
I understand there's also another list. What is COSIWIC? That stands for the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada. And it's a committee that's been set up federally to advise, advise the federal government on the status of different species and whether they're at risk and what their status should be and whether they should be listed federally as part of the Species at Risk Act. And if they're listed on the Schedule 1, then they have protection from the Act. That's what. So COSIWIC, it, it includes a whole range of people from scientists to researchers to ecologists, to people with First Nations knowledge and community members who have knowledge about different species so they can assess how widespread the species is, what the risks are, what threats there are and what, what the status is. So it's a, it's a very good system of trying to find out more information about a species and once they're listed on the Species at Risk Act and then there's a whole lot of work that then goes on to draw up recovery plans for those species so that the government can start trying to coordinate conservation efforts and a lot of that work is not just done by the government but done by conservation organizations like ourselves. Do we have any species that are just at risk on Cortez itself? No we don't we don't have any um, as far as I know any endemic species that are at risk. Are any of these species that you were talking about in danger of extinction? I think they all ultimately, if no conservation programs are in place, are, are at risk at some level of either extirpation or extinction, which is why the programs exist at all. But I wouldn't say that any of them are specifically right now um, at risk of extinction, no. Do you want to give me some examples of these species? Yeah, we've got a, a huge variety of amazing species on Cortez. Everything from humpback whales, which everyone's very familiar with, um, that are here a, a lot in the summer, right through to bird species such as the great blue heron. A lot of people don't realise that the great blue heron, which people see quite a lot, is actually a species at risk. We've also got species like the western toad, that once were locally abundant on Cortez, but haven't been recorded for the last few years. And um, we've also got a little butterfly called the um, silver-spotted skipper that um, is found on Cortez and has recently been recorded here. That's a species at risk. Then we've got bat species such as the Townsend big-eared bat and another one called the little brown myotis. So a couple of species of bats. Um, we've even got a snail called the Pacific sideband that was listed as a species at risk. It's been taken off the list, but we're still concerned about it. And a tiny little snail called the threaded vertigo that's also a species at risk, and that's federally listed, and that occurs on the islands. There's also the silver-spotted skipper, which is that butterfly that Helen was just mentioning, that it was actually extirpated, meaning completely disappeared from all of BC for over 50 years. And just a few years ago, they were spotted on Cortez, around some giant vetch plants, which are these, um, it's a beautiful plant in the legume family that grows natively here. And that was a huge kind of breakthrough of awakening and realizing that we can really encourage all these species at risk that either if they've ever been extirpated or if they're about to be, we can really do our part and really welcome them back here too. Yeah, and there's, there's some certainly that are probably under-recorded just because people aren't out there recording them. So you, you have that factor in there, like the threaded vertigo is a tiny snail. It's like mm -hmm. the size of your 
um, thumbnail. It's tiny, so um, even you know, tinier. Even tinier. Apparently yeah. tinier than even on my. <laughs> Anyhow, they're pretty small, and so you know, trying to spot something like that and record it's difficult. So we don't, you know, it's difficult to know what the distribution is. Mm -hmm. But the more we can find out, the better. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about the? specific species and their stories and why it's important that they survive. Yeah, well, we've got the um, good one to start with. Um, I'll start with one and then uh, let Autumn explain about some of the others. The great blue heron is a species that we've got very interested in. It's an iconic species for the coast and it's a species you often see on the beach here. And I certainly, when I came to Cortez and to Canada, as you can tell I'm from England, I thought it was an amazing species to see because they're such big birds and they make such a lot of noise and they're very obvious. But surprisingly, it's a species at risk and they're of special concern federally and they're listed on the blue list, which means they're also threatened uh, provincially. And they're part of the ecosystem and they're beautiful species to see, but they're an important part of the ecosystem, uh, important marine species. And over the last few years, we've been trying to monitor them on the island, particularly trying to monitor whether they're nesting here or not. They used to be big rookeries at Manson's Lagoon, at Smelt Bay, various other places on the island, all of those had disappeared. Last year we had no reports of blue herons nesting on the island, so that's a massive change and that's happening up and down the coast and one of the reasons is they're more predated by eagles now but another reason is again it's habitat loss and decline in food in the marine environment as well. So that's a good example of something that you'd think is common, is actually at risk. Um, and I think, you know, it's something we want to work on. Do we have another species we want to talk about? Yeah, there's quite a few other species that I'd like to talk about, and one of them in particular is the western toad. This toad is really special. It's not used to be in very large populations on the island, mostly around where the lakes are and the wetlands, but over time the populations have declined so much so that one hasn't actually even been seen in many years. The toads are really unique because, for many reasons really, and they most often are seen or have been seen around the lakes and the wetlands or they're seen walking across the roads. These toads actually walk more so than hop, but they can jump a really large distance as well. And they're really important for insect populations around around the wetlands and the lakes. They really are opportunistic, so they will eat all sorts of insects, and they even occasionally will eat crayfish and mollusks. You said they've disappeared. Are they known around in any of the other islands or nearby? Yeah, they're, and I for, forgot to mention, too, yeah, that they are actually on the Cossiewick status they are a species of special concern across the whole kind of west coast specifically in bc it has a yellow list so it says they're actually secure but on cortez in particular that we're finding that that's different just in regard to the data that we are collecting around the western toad so elsewhere they might be apparently secure, but on Cortez, the numbers that we've seen are so few and far between that it's quite alarming. They're at risk because of just, they're really sensitive animals where they 
can really easily be exposed to pesticides and herbicides and certain fertilizers and certain chemicals that forestry industry uses. But also just by getting hit by cars because they do travel between sites, especially from the lake, and then they use the road as a corridor between their meadow and forest colony spots, which that's, they head to the forest and the meadows when outside of breeding season. So from July onward, they use the roads to get to their colony location. And they've often been hit and squished from that. And yeah. We're really keen to see if people actually record, can see western toads on the island. Now we do think they have pretty much disappeared but it'd be fantastic if we could get some records. Yeah. And if you're ever looking at a toad and wondering whether it's a toad or a frog, a toad it has dry bumpy skin and mm -hmm. the western toad has a like a creamy stripe down its back and as Autumn says they tend to walk and not hop. So they're fairly distinctive and when they lay their eggs they lay them in strings and mm -hmm. they, they're like a string of pearls. So rather than like the frog spawn, which is more um, like clutches. clutches of eggs, they're, they're a definite string of eggs. So, you know, if anyone sees any this spring and this is the time to see them, then we mm -hmm. would be really keen to know where they saw them. If they can get a picture, that's even better. And then we yeah. can confirm the record. Um, and they, they will lay their eggs like within the water column. So not really floating on top, usually within 15 centimeters of the surface and usually around vegetation and woody debris and all of that. Um, they also, these frogs are also at risk of disease. There's a lot of amphibians that are at risk of a fungal disease in particular. So handling these toads isn't necessarily a good idea for the toad itself, just because we can be a vector for fungal disease that doesn't affect us, but it would really f affect the toad population. So if anyone yeah. sees a toad, western toad, we want to hear about we it. We so want to know, and that could be actually a really huge kind of discovery. Again, that's a population that has been really in decline, and we would love to know that Yeah, so they can do that here. by emailing friendsofcortez at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. Or you can give us a call at the office too at 0087. And then if there's a few other species too. There's also the northern pygmy owl, which I was gracious enough to actually meet one this summer just with the unfortunate circumstance of it being injured. And these northern pygmy owls are the size of your fist. They are so, so tiny and they love living in open and undisturbed forests. They actually nest in old cavities created by woodpeckers or just by decomposition. So they like have, there's a carved out part of a tree that that's where they nest in. And each breeding pair is monogamous for the season and they take, do their fair share of parenting, raising between two and seven clutches, or sorry, two to seven eggs per clutch. And they're really such a unique owl because they actually hunt during the daytime and that helps them against predation, against larger owls and raptors and even raccoons and squirrels who will steal their eggs and eat their eggs. Then they also are very opportunistic and love to eat all sorts of insects, but they will eat animals uh, even up to three times their size. 
They've even been found at times to find, take a chicken, which is pretty amazing. But they will eat chickadees and blackbirds and all sorts of insects. And you can often see them... <laughs> if you hear a big kind of mobbing happening with a bunch of small birds, they're usually at the epicenter of that mobbing as a way for the other smaller birds to kind of send them out of their territory to protect their young. And the northern pygmy owl, like I said, lives within tiny little cavities usually created by woodpeckers in forests and their flying patterns are unique to other birds and they actually, instead of landing their method for hunting is that they perch and pounce. So they will like land on a lower branch in a tree and then they climb all the way up to the top of the tree so they can get a bird's eye view of what's going on and then they will just dive bomb and get the prey that they need. And a huge reason they're at risk is because of the logging practices and the removal of snag trees, which is completely habitat loss. And also just a change in climate. They love being near meadows and they kind of live on the edges of forests so they can have access to water and access to different foraging grounds and certain human practices can really affect that. Do you have any other examples of species? We have so many <laughs> examples of species, but I'm going to go with that. I have another one that I would love to speak to a little bit, and it's uh, the coastal cutthroat trout. And this species we have here on the island, and the coastal cutthroat trout can either be a freshwater-only species or it can be a sea-run trout. And the trout are actually... They actually are in the same genus as the salmon, so they are salmonids, but they have a different life cycle. And one of their biggest differences is that, depending on their circumstances, they will either stay in fresh water or they will run to the sea. But whether they're fresh water or marine based, they always return to the same spawning spot and they can respawn multiple times even within a season and they might take a break in between years of spawning but they don't die after they spawn which is different than the salmon and they usually stay within 50 miles of their their original nesting site which is pretty incredible when you think about even the fish the sea run trout that are in the ocean they are still within 50 miles of their freshwater home and these trout really are indicative of a healthy ecosystem because they do need really clean water and clean gravel and a healthy flow within the stream that they live in to successfully reproduce. And they also are indicative of a healthy ecosystem because they need a, a strong shoreline and so they have there's the lakes that we have around here, for instance, are perfect for that because there is strong vegetative shoreline which gives them protection against the sun, protection against predator species, and is also their perfect habitat for all the little insects that they eat. 
after the trout lay their eggs, it takes about seven weeks for those to develop, all those eggs to develop into fry. And then from there, they make their way either to their larger freshwater body from their original stream or and whether that be freshwater or ocean. The coastal cutthroat trout is really important to our coast because of course it's been a huge food source for people for thousands of years. But it's not only for humans but also for river otters and for the great blue heron and many other species. So it's really important food source and it also eats many things like all those insects and smaller fish as well but also because it's indicative of a healthy ecosystem when the coastal cutthroat trout are present. Yeah, and the coastal cutthroat trout are found in Gunflint and Hag Lake. So that says a lot to the health of those lakes and the importance of keeping these lakes healthy. As there's still space left in this half hour, I want to play a segment from an interview I did with Helen Hall a year after she became the executive director and also with Foci's president, Max Tayson. I think Foucault, well, first of all, I think it's an amazing little organisation on Cortez that's been running now for nearly 25 years. And its remit really is twofold. One is to uh, monitor, protect and look after the different ecosystems, the different habitats and species on the island. Also to try and encourage people to live in a more sustainable way so they're impacting less on the natural ecosystems on the island, but also more broadly in terms of just reducing environmental impacts like um, trying to reduce uh, people's impact say on climate change on energy consumption that kind of things so one side of it's very much sort of environmental the other side of um, friends cortez is engaging the community and educating people and that's educating people to be more sustainable but also educating people about the environment that they live in and that can be done in a fun way so that they can actually enjoy and learn about the environment around them. The way I got involved in Foucault was I came to live on Cortez three years ago. I came from the UK and I spent my whole career working in the environmental field in the UK and I was amazed and delighted to find that Friends of Cortez existed on Cortez because that's pretty amazing to have a little stewardship organisation on the island and I started volunteering with them. And then I was very lucky to uh, first of all get the job as stewardship coordinator and then I got the job as executive director and I've you know, really been enjoying it and I'm sort of kind of living in paradise and doing a job I really enjoy. So <laughs> that's how I came to work for Friends of Cortez. What do you actually do? You mentioned three things. You almost made it sound like a support group. You're talking about community education and you're also talking about, I'm interested in the support group part. What are you talking about? Like, that's not an official goal of Foci, but for people who care about change and care about this little rock that pokes out of the Salish Sea, it's nice to have people with the same perspective on the world, or similar perspectives on the world, who care about similar things to get together and talk about issues and that's like a supportive thing so in contrast you have a bunch of dear friends but we don't always focus on these issues that Foci is interested in and it's it's really 
nice and supportive and therapeutic to get together and address those issues or at least complain about them together. I think that's what I mean. So it's like an unintended side effect of, of having this organization. And it's a benefit that as board members we get. And maybe, I don't think that that support group thing applies beyond the board, okay. except that maybe the membership is receive some support knowing that we are doing what we're doing on their behalf. Because there's a real need on Cortez for an organisation like this. One, it's an amazing island. Um, it's got an amazing marine environment. It's got an amazing terrestrial environment. And having been, having been in this job now for nearly a year, I can see there's a real need for what we're doing, trying to protect different ecosystems and species on the island and trying to engage people. There's a real enthusiasm out there to learn more about Cortez and its wildlife. It's always easier to start with your own life in your backyard and expand to your community and the people that live right around you and then right out to the edges of that community which for us is pretty reasonably the intertidal reaches of Cortez Island. But every place needs the kind of care and awareness that we're trying to bring. You've been listening to Autumn Barrett Morgan, Helen Hall, and Max Tayson from the Friends of Cortez Island. Most of this program dealt with species at risk, but there was also a clip from 2016 about the society itself. This program was funded by a grant from the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada's Local Journalism Initiative. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.